ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And all my band money went to record stores. Like I was like Ben, like just if I had Mark, spare cash, it meant I hadn't been to the record store yet. Mark, so. did you grow up going to record stores? Because well, I did not. I I had the radio. Mark, I listened to yeah. what Top Forty told me to listen to. Yeah. Where? Well, do you want to tell yours? Your three. I, I, I literally don't have one. Okay. So <laughs> well, actually, one time Jeff took me to a record store, and that was very memorable. Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. Stop discussing uh, the crew for a second. Uh, Ben Barton in Knoxville, Jeff Simons in Berkeley. All three of us are licking our wounds uh, after losing in the finals of the uh, podcast bracket challenge. But let's say first that we did make it to the finals. Which was crazy. We were a 16th seed and we made it all the way to the finals until we met like UNLV. It was a buzzsaw. (laughs) Yeah, it was a bust up. But thank you to everyone who voted. We obviously have a yeah. small but mightily devoted little following, and we are yeah. super geeks. But the Cleveland Browns fans really, uh, yeah, they really, they're good. Uh, they they were really nice guys, uh, really sweet uh, with the back and forth on Twitter. So congratulations to them, uh, and congratulations uh, uh, on all those burner phones they bought to, oh, to make totally. Twitter account. And also, I'll know uh, they don't have a football team to pay attention to. That football team's terrible. So they have plenty of time to vote. I asked them. I, I retweeted the guy last night and asked him if Bernie Kosar was still a quarterback. Oh, you didn't. No. That's, that's too far. I, I disagree. That's just right in line for sure. <laughs> well, welcome. Um, let's do this again. It's 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. We're part of the Drive-In Podcast Network where you can get uh, podcasts on movies, on sports, on fantasy football, all sorts of stuff. Um, really, really fun articles as well. We're one of the three of us is going to write another article soon, right? Sure. And now that volleyball season started, uh, well, things are a little busy. Ben, are you busy these days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I don't Jeff, know what you're hitting me up for. That's just you were like that was like a knock, knock, knock. Hey, I'm an Amway salesman. Are you busy? Like, yeah. I'm busy, man. <laughs> you could tell that. <laughs> rem story of yours jeff simons you're putting out fires in california you poor guy i wish we were i wish we were putting out fires instead we're oh. just inhaling them slowly until there's nothing left but today we have clean air thank god uh-huh uh, first time in eight days we've had the windows open and the air is suitable for uh human consumption so all right that well, feels good so it's 1989 i am 19 years old i am a, a freshman at the university of dayton um, and all sorts of music is coming our way, including the Grammy winner for 1989. Oh, God. All right, hold on. I have to... You, you, can't, you can't sigh like that. That gives it away for Ben. 
You already like told it. me that all of these Grammy winners are terrible. And, and also actually, experiences told me that. By the way, I, this might be the worst yet. How about that? It's the Grammy winner. Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler. This it might could be my be, least favorite. Or it could be inspirational. Oh, no! <laughs> yes, oh, indeed. This, this is, is this Wind Beneath My Wings? Yeah, yeah sure. Oh! This don't is like, like this. a running joke in my house how much I hate this particular song. When I say to someone, you're the wind beneath my wings, they know what I mean by that. Oh, so uh, So, Bette Midler, not, not a fan of that song. In the, in the background here. <laughs> I just remember, remember when Bette Midler, like, sang this to Johnny Carson on his yeah. goodbye show? And she's, like, on the desk all Marilyn Monroe, and we we're all supposed to think it was such a touching moment. I was like... I remember watching that and thinking, this song sucks. I mean, that was my reaction to that. Even like, at the, yeah, way back when. Oh. That won the great. I mean, it, this was a huge gargantuan song that was a massive hit and you couldn't avoid, even though it's despicable right. and not likable. Like, Do, I, I have no name, idea. What, I, I recognize the movie it right from? Say again? Can you recognize uh, the movie? Do you remember the movie that it's from? Is it a Beaches? Oh, Beaches, for sure. Yeah. Beaches, it is. Yep. <laughs> When did adult contemporary radio start? Is it late 80s? Because this was, yeah. this was played all the time on those stations. No, no. So um, oldies radio already existed. Sure. And they transitioned to adult contemporary. Because they, it was basically like they kept the same format, but they changed the name. Oh, interesting. Music okay. to browse in a hardware store, too. That's what that is. I mean, that's just... <laughs> Or like 2 a.m. Walgreens music. That's what no, I was waiting at that lobby of the dentist. I cannot believe that that three <laughs> 50-year-old white guys aren't fans of Wind Beneath Your Wings. I think it's inspirational. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, Tim, you're the Wind Beneath My Wings, man. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. I took 48 seconds. I was so I, try- <laughs> I tried to uh, do research on 1989 because that's my role on this podcast is to bring uh, – Historical nuggets. Do you know what happens if you punch 1989 into uh, Google? Nothing but Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Nothing yeah. but Taylor Swift. It is T-Swizzle, which let's just do a T-Swizzle podcast here. Um, and then all of a sudden you, you get to the year and then you get depressed because I do not want to talk about Tiananmen Square on our podcast. No. Is that fair? Bad. fair um, I do not want to talk about the Hillsborough disaster. Oh, the uh, the soccer too. disaster and the fans um, don't want to do that. Um, let's go something cheery. In Denmark, the registered partnership law is passed. Can anyone guess what the registered partnership law is? Is that the first that time? The first, yeah, it's going to be my guess. Indeed. Go Denmark. That's setting the tone for right us. There. 1989. Um, yeah. Equal benefits for uh, domestic gay couples is awesome. The uh, clerk begins to dismantle what? Apartheid. Excellent. Yeah. Jeff Simons, what else was dismantled? In the uh, the uh, wall between East and West Germany came, Excellent. Down, or begins to come down. Yeah, the end of uh, the what was it called? What was it? The Glass Berlin Wall? Was that the name? No, it was Glass. Oh, Glass. The name yeah. of the, the destruction of the old Soviet Empire. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually, yeah. I actually was in Berlin the day Checkpoint Charlie was put on a flatbed truck and driven away. I was one of the first 50 people to walk through without showing a passport. Stop it. 
Yep. And I chiseled a piece of the Berlin Wall off myself. I paid some guy 10 well, bucks to borrow his hammer and chisel. I brought thought home I remember. a chunk of the wall. Yeah. And then my, I left it at my parents' house and they had dinner guests one night and they were from Germany. And my mom was like, look at no. this. And she was like, no. cool. And she put no. it in her pocket. And my parents were too uh, milk toast to be like, Ahem, can we have that back, please? And so my was there a language barrier or something? No, no, no. I, I remember you telling me you had a piece of the Berlin Wall. So you were actually in Germany. What were you doing over there? I was just turning around. Uh, I had gone over with my buddy Hanchet with you know URL passes in three weeks, and uh, we you know that our our trip just took us there. It was just one of those complete accidental sea wow. leg, right place, right time moments. But it was great. Really cool. Um, yeah. All right, all right. Let's transition to the number one hit, um, and we'll see if Ben Barton will get his groove on. It's the number one hit. Miss you much by Janet Jackson. Come on, Janet, Here seriously, where have you been? Just getting in folks' business, y'all so much. Oh, come on, Janet, okay, oh, no. I'm getting it. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. Okay, you guys really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. I believe you guys, y'all just never give up. So I had a dream where we uh, got shut down and our podcasts were taken down because we played too much of a song. I was just waiting was for it, the chorus. Was, was, was it Janet Jackson? Yeah. That's going to do it to us. The I, lawyers. I mean, I, I assume Janet Jackson's lawyers are formidable. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the biggest but, hit. It's not Rhythm Nation. I can't believe no. it's that Rhythm Nation. I actually am no, like. Miss You Much was huge. I don't remember. It I mean, was? I remember Rhythm Nation. Like, Me too. I, and I also prefer that song. That's a banger, though. Those guys, I mean, Jimmy Jam and uh, Terry, that's, Terry yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So, so here's the, we've got our impossible question coming up in a, in a little bit as far as favorite record stores. Here's my uh, cynicism question. Can you guys rank the Jacksons? Uh, give me the top three Jacksons in your mind. And yes, all the baggage comes with each Jackson. Oh, that's not okay. I'm just going to take the musical careers. It's Michael. No, 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 no. no. Of and then course. it's Janet. No. And then it's nobody. There's no third. The- <laughs> Jermaine. I, I know. know. I'm not. I'm out on Jermaine sucks. <laughs> no. Fight for last with all the other guys. Yeah, I, I actually think- agree with that. Michael, Janet, and then miscellaneous. That's how I but, would rank the Jacksons. But you got you to gotta <laughs> toss Michael. 
So does, isn't Janet the best Jackson? We've Janet's discussed crazy, man. We've discussed this, man. And also you got to separate the art from the artist. No, I'm saying, but in this particular exercise. We're on a music podcast. We're not going to rank them as people. I'm not doing a top three, like what's Michael Jackson like as a person? That's not for me. <laughs> so no matter what, Janet is in second place. Yeah, for sure. You're trying yeah. to get Janet in first place. I mean, I'm trying I, to get Janet in first place. On the list of, uh, <laughs> can, you know, uh, incidents of horrifying interpersonal behavior she's probably in first place yeah right. she's also easily the number one female jackson it's yeah, latoya's the other female right yeah, latoya's yeah. nuts man all right so we've mentioned jermaine michael janet latoya how many others can we name tito 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 that's it right that's the jacksons yeah. oh no there's randy marlin marlin and randy yeah randy, right. there's marlin. five there's the jackson five so we we had to get to that's five. it we did it that's a squad right there. All right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know, but we had a big volleyball match tonight. And, and apparently during it, you were considering the gestalt of Michael Jackson. You got to go. Sure. Let me tell you, it's, on the really, game there, coach. it's really hard to Google historical facts on your phone while, yeah, while you're really coaching. Um, but I will say, couple good things come out of 1989. I, I've mentioned some, some of the, the horrors. Do you, either of you know about the Velvet Revolution? Tell us. Is, um, that, is that the Prague Revolt? Is it that the is the Prague Revolt, yeah. Like 500,000 uh, Czechs show up in the streets and, uh, and demand uh, a new government. Um, so great great peaceful revolution. I mean, the, the initial night did have some violence. A lot of uh, people were sent to the hospital by, by goons. Uh, but then the entire countryside just comes out and into Prague. Uh, and also, uh, Ted Bundy was electrocuted. <laughs> those are, those, I didn't think that was going to be the next thing. Do you remember where we stayed in Prague, Tim? Do you remember yes. that? We, we stayed, we stayed in, in, a, a prison. in a hostel. We stayed in a hostel that had been the prison where they held Vaclav Havel before the Revol revolution. Right. Our, our room actually had the big like swing door that you oh. had to open. So the Czech, the Czech secret police, it was their prison and, and it was a lovely pink uh, bunk room for us. It was also uh, four euros a night for the room. That it was, was extraordinary. A, it was an amazing deal. And uh, unsurprisingly, since it was this SS prison, quite the shithole <laughs> it was uh, it was it was rough let's get to record stores i've got jeff simons in berkeley hello i've got ben barton in knoxville yep and wouldn't you know it i've got mark capen from Asheville. how are you mark i'm good i'm hanging in there it's uh you know life is good life is okay i guess life is okay now, our at listeners... Least at least your air is breathable. This is my uh, first day of breathable uh, air in eight uh, days. Geez. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's been, it's been crazy. All right. Uh, this is 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Mark, are you 50? Um, I'm close. I'm 40. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that is <laughs> not that the title of the podcast. So people are wondering what Mark is doing here. Well, Record Store Saturday. Is this Saturday? coming up well uh it's not this saturday it's the next one but okay it's, it's i mean i don't know if we want to go into that whole thing but 
it's normally one day of a year, a year, and now they've split it into three. And this is the second of three. Great, great. And, and are you all open during the COVID times? How do we you manage this? We are not open for browsing, but we are doing curbside pickup and um, delivery and mail order. And we, we've started to do um, appointments here and there. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just going to avoid the whole, we're going to avoid opening the door to the public for as long as we can because- okay. It just doesn't feel great to do right now. And the truth is like we've been figuring out interesting ways to get records in people's hands otherwise. So neat. Yeah. All right. So Mark is uh, one of the co-owners of Harvest Records here in West Asheville. Uh, great little story. This is where I bought uh, Martha her first CD. Nice. It, it was Taylor Swift's uh, CD and I made her buy a van morrison along with it so so i went halfsies with her if she's gonna buy taylor swift she also has to buy van morrison which one uh, did, she listen, did she listen to more uh t swizzle yeah she, <laughs> van, van, van van, i'm shocked is a coaster. that's because you chose yeah. a 1978 van morrison one that was nothing right. but 12 minute numbers that that's was why right. that happened she was very confused the entire yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, I should have started like, with something. Who is this simple. mumbling man? What is happening? <laughs> well, Mark, thanks for being here because we wanted to explore favorite all-time record shops, like a top three. Do you have any favorite record stores from your past or Ooh, present? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess if we're talking past and present, I mean, currently the, the places I, I – gravitate towards are places like Mississippi Records in Portland. Okay. Um, there's a place called Domino Sound in New Orleans that I love. And wow. what, what, what I'm like as a record store owner, you know, it's like, it's interesting because I, what I'm looking for when I go in a record store is I don't most likely don't really care about new records at all. Like I'll look at them right. if I need to, but I can get those things for cheaper. So really I'm, I'm hounding a used section. So it's about used, but see, I'm, I'm the kind of buyer that I personally, I don't love a super huge million record overwhelming right. collection where I want need to dig for a full week or whatever. I, right. I kind of like a level of curation. And so stores like Mississippi and, and Domino Sound have, are, have a really well curated, all killer, no filler kind of store. Okay. Um, I love End of an Ear in Austin. Um, when I was in college in Virginia, there was a place, there's still a place called Plan 9 in Richmond that we would go to. Plan 9 kind of shrunk, but anyway, that's a, okay. that was always a killer store. How, how long have you owned Harvest Records? 16 years. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and there was, awesome. there was an expansion at one point, right? Like eight years right. in? Uh, yeah, about halfway in. Yeah, we, uh, we expanded. We, were, we doubled our size, yeah. Wow, that yeah. is terrific. That um, kind of coincided with sort of as the vinyl uh, uh, renaissance was, was starting to ki really kick in. You, you got to expand at that point. Yeah. Awesome. Jeff, do you recognize those record stores he mentioned? Yeah, well, he stole one of my top three. Did he really? Great. So yeah, this is, uh, is going to be by far and away my favorite guest we ever have. Uh, <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell Teresa. I was raised in, I mean, I raised myself in record stores. Like I, I went, uh, my number one store is the Annapolis Record Exchange, which is no longer with us, but it was uh, just an amazing used record store. Uh, and I started going there, honest to God, when I was like eight or nine years old. And I went in to buy a Beatles record and I went to the counter 
with one and the guy was like, that's not the one you want. And he took me back and he found oh. two others for less money. And from then on, I got, I went in with my allowance every two weeks and that, and just was like, okay, what's next? And this guy just wow. built my record collection week by week for like, I don't know, 10 years. What was the guy's and, name? Uh, John. John. Okay. John's good um, name. And then, you know, I, I just, I, 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 when I go to a city, I, the first thing I do is find out where the record stores are. That's where I go. I've been to all the stores that Mark named. Uh, I plan nine in Charlottesville was my number two. Cause I, I went there when I was 16. I always had a list of records in my pocket that I couldn't find. Like I just like had this running list of records I'd read about that you just couldn't get in the suburbs or you just, you know, if, you you would go and they'd be like, oh, we had it last week. We only had one copy. And Plant Nine, like I ticked off like eleven of the fourteen records <laughs> in my list, and like, I spent all my money and like, and I was on, I was on the road with my parents, so I had to wait like four days before I could even hear any of them. And I'm like yeah. taking them into the hotel room at night so they don't warp. And <laughs> uh, so I just love record stores. I love record store people. I'm totally with you. Like, you know, within thirty seconds, I can tell if a record store is worth the deep dive, but even if it isn't like, I just, I like being in a place where people care more about music than they need to. And right. you know, a great record store is just that place. My third one, um, we're, we're blessed out here. The Amoeba music right. duo in San Francisco and Berkeley are both terrific. And so I've been spoiled just absolutely rotten for the last 25 years. But, um, you know, but yeah, recently, I just, uh, uh, recently I was, um, somehow I wound up watching, uh, the take the skinheads bowling music video. Okay. Um, the camper van, camper van Beethoven. Yeah. And uh -huh. that, I didn't know this until watching this, but where they film the bowling scenes, that Is was, that bowling alley became Amoeba. Yeah, that's right. It's an old, it's a converted bowling alley. And <laughs> when you, when you know that walking in, it's, it's it's so obviously a 40 lane bowling alley filled with yeah. music but, and i mean i you know you can just get lost in that place forever but i'm also like i'm a annual record store day i'm one of the dudes out in line usually like i'm not crazy enough to be in the top 10 but i'm yeah. usually there early enough to get what i'm looking for but you know that line of dudes waiting to get in on record store day is you, know, you. you ever wonder yeah, if you ever wonder who your tribe is you're just like oh yeah. hi everyone like i mean and they're all guys they're guys whose faces i recognize from like they're two they're two faces over at the film or two months ago or like uh, i you know like they're just part of the community so it was very sad for me to have to go online for record store day this year um though i did i got what i wanted but it wasn't the same kind of community so yeah. mark we'll talk about you putting aside a a copy of the cheap trick one that's coming out in October for me when we get okay, offline. You got but, it, man. I'll do it. <laughs> ben, ben Barton, what are your memories of record stores? Or is there a present day record store that's your favorite? I got all three. So uh, I'll start. My first is just the same as Jeff's, the local record store, 7th Avenue in Brooklyn soundtrack. Okay. That's where I bought my first record. Starting the summer between my sophomore and junior year in high school, I worked okay. and I, I had a, like a whole series of really shitty jobs where I was like an ice cream scooper and then yeah. a line cook and then a bus boy. Um, and every summer, half of my money I would have to spend on stuff, but the other half I would save. And three summers in a row, I went to Soundtrack with my money in cash. Nice. I gave it to the dude. And he had a notebook that was a tab, like it was at Cheers. And I had that money in there. And he was like, you just tell him it's in the book. 
and I got a 20% discount on the records. Wait, you just handed over a wad of cash. I gave them, I gave them like, this is like 800 bucks in 1986. Like I just gave them my entire summer's earnings. And then it was in the book and I would just go in and buy all year. But the summer before I went to college, I remember especially because Uh I came in uh, two weeks before college, I gave them all the money and I was like, look, we're, we're going to do this right now. Like you and me, I'm finishing my record collection for college. And he was like, really? And I was like, oh yeah. So I had a, I had a list of things just like Jeff. So uh-huh. that summer I bought every Rolling Stones record. That was it. And I wow. was like, greatest hits, whatever, period, anything. 35, I already had 20 of them, but I mean, I closed it out. But then he <laughs> was like, he was like, what Dylan do you have? And I was like, oh, I've got his greatest hits. And he was like, oh, oh, oh. not okay. And he just like gave me five records to buy. And then he just, it was like a joint effort, me and this guy. It was amazing. I'm super oh. grateful to him. I'm sure he was grateful to me too, because right. not everybody comes in with huge wads of cash and gives it <laughs> over. So yeah, that was my first. The second, um, and this is sadly a competitor to that. So same Uh-oh. time frame in high school, uh, my buddies and I would get on the subway and we would go to Manhattan because Brooklyn was super lame and Manhattan was super cool. And we would go okay. to the village and in the village, you could go to a bodega and buy whatever alcohol you wanted. So we would get forties and then we'd be walking around in the village and we uh-huh. would just go to the used record stores. But actually, cause we were from Brooklyn, we weren't cool enough to do that later as a grown up. Now I know like Leaker Bob's and there's other ones in there that I know are super famous. Okay. But the actual one that we really, really liked was tower. And I know that's embarrassing, but keep in mind in 1986, yeah. there were like two uh- tower records. There was one in New York. It ended up and one in London and, and dude, the, the difference so in, tower, yeah. in tower, I did not have the experience where somebody guided me, but I had the experience where I went in and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Freaking crazy. And just completely right. They had everything. The thing that really blew me away was they had a whole room of 45s Yeah, and they had huh. all the one hit wonders in order by year period. So <laughs> I just went nuts. Like I still have, I don't know, 150 45s. Wow. And 125 of them I bought at Soundtrack. So it was like, you know, like La Bamba and uh, yeah. like Turning Japanese. Like yeah. just yeah. all these like weird little squirrely songs. Oh, and, and, the, and the, my favorite, The Romantics. Like I've got all of those little 45s in there. And then uh-huh. I have all the weird Beatles ones too. Like I had the Beatles greatest hits, but I was like, you know what would be cool is to have those Beatles singles. So uh-huh. uh, that was, that. I will always remember that. And then the modern one, so Knoxville is a college town. Okay, there's like five awesome used record stores all run by people who are into it and are awesome. great. My, my personal favorite is Raven Records and it's Raven Records and Rarities and it's run by two squirrely dudes. They just celebrated their 35th anniversary. That's and amazing. It's got like a little... It's got a little raven with a cigar coming out the side of his mouth, like from the old uh, Looney Tunes. Uh-huh. Um, and they're, they're super badasses. Is Jay Nations they're one gonna... of those guys? Yeah, totally. Jay Nations is the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they've got the, I mean, like Lost and Found Records is maybe has more vinyl, but they basically have the most vinyl in town. And in particular, they have the most passionate guys. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say that's a strike against them, or it's a strike for them and against them. They uh-huh. have an illegal poker game once a uh, week in the back of the store nice. and they've never invited me. And I think that's because <laughs> they think I'm a narc. 
My my wife is the mayor of Knoxville, <laughs> and I think I'm not invited because I'm a narc. You just publicly outed them on the podcast. Of course you're a I narc. know. Well, dude, they got to invite me or the cops are going to show up. You know what I'm you saying? Like, let's illegal. get the show on the road. That is awesome. We might I, I, to... drove, I drove from Annapolis, Maryland to New York once a year to go to that Tower Records. I would drive oh, really? into the city park, go to that tower. And like I was all my money, like I was, in, you know, I was in a band all through high school and we played dances and all my band money went to record stores. Like I was like, Ben, like just if I had Mark, spare cash, it meant I hadn't been to the record store yet. Mark, so. did you grow up going to record stores? Because well, I did not. I, I had the radio, Mark. I listened to yeah. what Top 40 told me to listen to. Yeah. Where, well, do you want to tell yours? Your three? I, I, I literally oh, don't have one. Okay. So, <laughs> well, actually, one time Jeff took me to a record store, and that was very memorable. It was in it was in England, and he's like, "Here, you want Elvis Costello? Here, you want uh, Oxford I Angels?" That. Um, I mean, it was one of those just. Well, we also went, we went to the one in Burlington, Vermont, where we ran into Wilco buying records. Remember? Oh, that? that's and right. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was a good one. But as far as independent record store experiences, yeah. uh, there, there was yours. That's it. That's yeah. all I got. Fair enough. Well, yeah, um, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and there were record, a couple record stores, and I would go in there, and they, I'd also do the thing where every Christmas, my mom or birthday, my mom would go in and be that mom that I deal with on the other side now where she has the list, and she's uh-huh. like, I don't even know what this says. Like, can you help me with this? You know, and butthole surfers. Yeah. Like it just like mind blowing stuff. And, and she'd be like super chunk. I don't know what, and so <laughs> they would. And so I had a little bit of that. I mean, um, I can't say that I like lived in record stores growing up or anything. I think it became more of a thing in college for me. And I, speaking of, I have a question for Ben, Ben, you grew up in New York, in Brooklyn. Yes, he did. Yes, okay. he did. I'll answer uh, for him. He's frozen. Ben, well, you're frozen. <laughs> this is a continual. This is a continual fun moment where Knoxville's Wi-Fi lets us down. I so. see. Well, if we knew the mayor. Was, if you guys remember, um, I like in college. So I'd say like late '90s and even into the early 2000s. I have memories of going into record stores in Manhattan uh-huh. that were 20 that were open 24 hours a day. Wow. Oh, wow. And that, hours a day. And, and like, I've had to ask people since then, like people that lived in New York during that time, I'm like, did I dream that? Like, that's, that was a thing. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah. 24 hour record stores. And that's like, crazy. Tower wow. closed at midnight. And I remember uh, when there were towers everywhere. Um, I remember like summers when I was home from college, like working a crap job, I'd just be sitting at home with nothing to do at like 10, 15. And I'd be like, I'll go to tower for an hour and a half. And I would just yeah. go to tower records at 11 o'clock at night and like yeah. listen to stuff. And, yeah. but uh, they did close, they did kick me out at midnight. I do remember that. Ben, Ben, do you remember all night record stores in New York city? I mean, I like when I lived there, I was in high school. So no, I had uh, a curfew, but I assume that to be true. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Well, this Saturday, because when this, publishes okay. next week this saturday is record store saturday uh do you got any special deals going on mark um well uh, no we don't i mean what what <laughs> what will probably here's the thing yeah doing the record store day thing in a pandemic is a super intense challenge right yeah. right because the whole thing i mean every year in the for the last 10 years every record store day we'd have a line that would form at midnight or maybe earlier 
and it would be 100 to 150 people long. Wow. And swarm in, and we'd make these videos, and it was crazy, and it was, you know, and obviously, it's literally the last thing that we want to happen now. Right. 100 sure. people in one place at once. So, um, what we've tried to do is just figure out a way to, like, get a gauge on what people want, and then we're just going to try to answer, you know, emails and DMs and phone calls in order as, as long as people are patient with us, that's, you know, starting at a certain time, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. What we probably also will do is put up videos of some really good used stuff that we're holding back for that day, which, okay. You know, so for what that's worth, I mean, honestly, at this point, record store day, when we participate in it, it's just like, can we get through the day without uh, it yeah. like, crashing and making us <laughs> crazy? So I mean, I were grateful for it and it's really fun and we love the, you know, we, we love the support, but then it, it is also like, it's so exhausting that, um, whew, All right. like, I, I, can't. I got you. Hey everybody, October 17th record store day. You got it. October 31st. Yeah. yeah. Every yeah. day is record store right. day. That's right. It doesn't yeah. matter. And people in Asheville and, and tourists and stuff are, have always been, they've been really cool to us in the pandemic. We've got really great customers great and we're really grateful for everyone being patient with us through all this it's been killer it's been yeah it's a great my, it's a gr great community yeah, yeah go ahead jeff my pick for this you know there's three different ones this year but my pick for september 26 for those of you that don't know, i think mike watts single cover of squeezes in quintessence is going to be special that's my little, yeah. my little yeah okay. bonus my little bonus pick for everybody for this mike Saturday. watts but don't buy my copy to buy someone else's copy okay good call <laughs> well mark do you want to do you want to stick around for 1989? Um, I, I can, but but I, if you can do the math right now, you can know that I was nine in '89, and All so right. I'm like, I. It's funny because I looked up what records came out and of course now i'm like whoa yeah digital and and disintegration and all this shit that came out in 89 that i was not aware of really i i was i was aware of maybe the cure via my older sister that's okay you no know. well let's well, still you're on our podcast jeff's yeah. got how many songs at your disposal jeff i got a few all we're, right. we're, we're around 30, 30,000 at the fingertips. So. so in honor of your presence, we're going to play a song for you. Pick any song from 1989 that stands out now. Well, you, hey, you, mentioned the, you mentioned The Cure. Let's, uh, let's do that. Let's do yeah. this. This is my favorite song from uh, Disintegration. And here we go. Excellent. Good one. That's the same album as Pictures of You, right? Yeah, very good, uh, Tim. This girl had a crush on me in college. She made a tape starting with Pictures of You. Oh, look at that. I know, I know. Oh, Big well. tapes, man. That's a whole... I don't know if you've done an episode on that, but... Oh, not yet. We should put that... Thing. We'll put that behind the paywall when we yeah. get a paywall. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, thanks so much for jumping on tonight. This yeah, is great. And, uh, nice to meet I, you, man. If I wasn't running shirt. late, I would have worn my Harvest Records uh, T-shirt instead of my coaching shirt. Uh, a five-set loss, and I still didn't get my shirt.
Thanks All for right. having me. Hey, uh, anytime, bet. man. All right, we'll talk Take to care. you later. Our three songs. Who gets to go first? Cool. Jeff this week. All right. So Jeff I came prepared. Week. Usually I just wing it on this podcast. Not, uh, I don't know what you because mean. Because I don't show, I don't have tremendous love for our followers, but uh, the idea of me like preparing for this even more than I already have is a little scary. But I, I've actually prepared some, some remarks. There's some musicology for this song. I'm picking for my song a perfect song. So... Those of you that don't Ooh. know me, I, te- I teach a rock history and performance song at the high school, a uh, performance class at the high school level. And so we do, it's a rock band, but it's also music history and, and we analyze songs and song craft. So uh, this band uh, would have been bigger and more successful if its lead singer hadn't suffered from crippling stage fright. Uh, touring, touring the world in 1982, he just froze one night and never got over it. And the band retreated and became just the studio act from 1983 until they stopped making records together in about 2003 or four. Um, And they made a series of just fantastic records, but they couldn't tour them. And so they were, the size of the audience was just limited and they, but they, uh, they made a series of just terrific records. Um, And in 1989, they put out a double record. And this is the first single from that record. And uh, I think it's just a great example of, of, just uh, perfect songwriting. And I'm going to actually break some of our rules for how much we're allowed to play because I just want okay. to talk about it. And one, while we're listening, the first thing I want you to notice is how spectacular the bass line is on this song. This is, uh, the song's called The Mayor of Simpleton and the band is XTC. Um, and at this point, it's just three guys. It's uh, Andy Partridge and Colin Molding, who are the guitar player and the bass player. And they trade songwriting duties. And then there's a lead guitar player, uh, Gregory, who uh, is just the flashy, amazing musician. Uh, and then they hire drummers and other guys to fill out the space. Um, and the drummer on this track is also the drummer on the Mr. Mr. record, on all the 90s oh. King Crimson records. He's just a killer studio guy. But check out, first thing to notice is uh, Colin Molding's unbelievable bass part. But then I'm just going to... I just want to walk through the sections of the song and just show what what brilliant arrangers these guys were. Like this is Beatles level use of studio as an instrument. So here we go. Mayor of Simpleton by XTC. that's the verse that's going to happen two more times and each time they're going to add something to it they're going to add a second vocal and then a third vocal here's your pre-chorus only one pass and then we've got chorus one got a second chorus that's only going to happen one more time at the very end and 
Now the whole thing's gonna happen again, but listen to all the extra parts here. Instead of chorus part two, we get a bridge. There's a whole new thing that happens here. Right back into chorus part one. the intro is a chorus tag that leads right into the verse. Now three vocals. Second chorus, it comes back. Again. And then the coolest part is rather than just end there with the CDG and resolve to the original key, the whole outro is uh, they stay on the five chord, the D, unresolved, and do this beautiful harmony in the round with the bass part that's stolen from the bridge. So I'm a sucker for XTC. I love great songwriting, um, but I they're not wow. too twee for me. They're not like, I don't feel like this is like cute songwriting, like look how adorable we are. They can also play their asses off. I think the song's got real, it, it, the song's got real heart. And, uh, and I'm a sucker for the underdog thing. Like by this point in their career, they knew that all that they had to offer were great records. So they just, tried so hard to make the best records they could make and they made skylarking oranges and lemons and none such three in a row in 87 89 and 92 where they're all great and i highly recommend them and they're not a band people know very well and if they do they might only know the song senses working overtime which appears in the occasional 80s best of but my that is the song i listened to most in 89 uh driving back and forth from my dorm room to the uh, college newspaper office at one o'clock in the morning to do layout. That tape yeah. just lived in my car. And it's still my favorite song in 1989. So and I'm glad to give XTC a little podcast love. 
I love it. I love it. Uh, guess what my favorite song from 1989 is? I don't know. It's The Mayor of Simpleton by no XTC. No way! And, you gotta be and, but I love the fact that you just walked me through that song because all I know is the heart and the lyrics because uh, I think he's so gosh darn clever. Uh, but such a great song, and I love being able to appreciate it on this new level. Ben oh, Barton? That. Ben so, didn't like it. First of all, <laughs> Jeff, you thought we were going to choose the same song? You know I don't like the song. No, no, no. I didn't think we were going to choose the same song. I Last thought um, A week ago, you said you thought we'd have the same choice for 89. I thought you were going to do the Stone Roses oh. song. Oh, no, no, no. That was close, though. I, thought, I, I know we have the same one for 90, and I'm choosing something different because of that. I, I thought you were going to do Stone Roses, one. too. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, so uh, the first thing to note is that this is a classic – Jeff Simon's Ben Barton argument. And now it appears that I have to argue with Tim as well. This is an entire genre of things that Jeff loves that I'm super lukewarm on. And this is all of the Elvis Costello songs that are overwritten. This what? Is all, and uh, here's what I'll say about this. The first thing, Veronica's this year too. This song is too clever by half and then another half on top of it. The song is about a guy who's stupid and the, the actual song itself is so unbelievably overwrought. It has no heart at all. I don't, I don't believe for a second. <laughs> I don't believe for a second that this guy's the mayor of Simpleton. He's the mayor of Cleverton. And you can tell because of the music that he writes. <laughs> second, I don't believe that he loves this woman. I don't think he's interested in her at all. All he does is want to sit in the studio and loop things on top of each other in this real oh, wimpy, interesting way. Sure. Uh, I recognize, I totally recognize the craftsmanship, but to me, it's like Tin Pen Alley craftsmanship. Like, I'm just not interested in it. This is not what I'm here for. And this is actually a perfect transition to my 1989. Uh, I wanted <laughs> to choose a song that kicks ass and a okay. song that exemplifies not just 89, but also just the whole genre that we've done nothing with, which is hair metal. So I said I love Guns N' Roses, but I consider Guns N' Roses to be an overqualified hair metal band. They're actually not a hair metal band. They're good enough that they don't even count for that. And so uh, this year I chose Motley Crue, Kickstart Your Heart. This is the epitome of hair metal. It's everything that's great about hair metal. It's actually super similar to Mayor Simpleton. They pack everything into this stupid song. There's like 85 different parts to it. There's multiple guitar solos. There's a slowed on part. There's a 30 second thing at the end with a drum solo and they're still kicking ass. Like uh, it's a super similar song. And yet this is a song, in my opinion, that has heart and that the musicianship is for a purpose. Kickstart my heart, Jeff Simons.
So uh, Motley Crue is the best hair metal band, and Nikki Six is the writer, and he's the bassist. And this is part of the reason why I love them. And I'm going to go ahead and predict that Jeff will agree with me on this. Like. This is a song written for the bass that he explains to Mars, the guitarist, how to play it. And that's why it kicks so much ass. Like, it's got a propulsive, so bass-driven rhythm all the way through it, and it's because Nikki Six is a genius. Dude, the song is about him having a heroin overdose in a hotel room with Slash and the uh, drummer from Guns N' Roses. He's dead for two minutes before the EMTs give him a shot of adrenaline to his heart. And oh, wait, who was? Nikki Six. Nikki Six. He was dead best. for two minutes. He's dead for two minutes. They give him two adrenaline shots to his heart, the EMTs, and that's what the song's about. Holy Dude, cow. I love this song in 89. I bought that stupid Dr. Feelgood record and I wore it out. In 89, and Jeff will know, um, I've got like several different personality quirks. One of them is that I've got this anti-elitist streak. And I knew that everyone else thought that Motley Crue was ridiculous. I knew it was super lame, and I would press this stupid record on people anyways. Like, including women that I was dating. I was like, you're going to dig this. And I'd put it and kickstart my heart. I and they were literally like, God. what would possibly make you think that I would like this? There's no one on this campus who likes this who's not you. Yeah, that's so great. Um, they're great. The, uh, I had a rebirth for it, and it came back to me because I'm in this uh, really super fun Knoxville book club. And so it's a group of people, and it's like roughly half UT professors, including two super awesome and decorated English professors. So we read all these really super cool books and have amazingly high-level discussions. So my buddy Scott, who's the guy who's the hookup who takes us to Bonnaroo when we go, um, He's uh, spotty on this, and he's actually a little bit spotty in all the high-level talks. So he hosts a book group, and he's like, my book is The Dirt, The Oral History of Motley Crue. No way. Which I cannot recommend this stupid book enough. It's <laughs> it freaking is so good. amazing. It's, so good. it's like 500 pages long, and they tell just one ridiculous off-the-hook story after another. <laughs> and Scott and Lisa hosting – we arrived and Scott was all dressed up and they had a mirror with a pile of powdered sugar on it with rolled up hundred dollar bills just sitting oh, as my the God. arrival for the book club. Um, That's a good my, book club right my there. My favorite anecdote from the dirt. And then I'll tell, I actually asked Scott and Jonathan, the other guys, some of the other guys, what theirs was. My favorite is, is an unbelievably hilarious story. So they lived in an apartment basically next to the Whiskey A Go-Go. Uh, in LA. And they're the Whiskey A Go-Go house band. And at this point, the Whiskey A Go-Go is the heart of the metal thing, period. That's where Van Halen launched. That's where Guns N' Roses launches. That's where they launch. That's where Poison launches. That's where LA Guns launches. Like all of these metal acts are coming out of the Whiskey A Go-Go. So it's like 81 and um, Motley Crue is just barely starting and they're like living broke in a Roachfield apartment. David Lee Roth comes to see them and then he's like, you guys are really good. And then they're like, oh, we're going to party after the show. And he's like, oh, let me come and join you. So at this point, so it's 81. It's not quite 1984 Van Halen, but he's an unbelievably wealthy, huge rock star. They describe he comes back to their apartment. He drinks a bunch of their liquor, takes a bunch of their drugs, at least with one of their girlfriends, and it gives them no money at all. 
And they're like, what the hell? What an asshole <laughs> this guy is. And then the other guy in the band is like, how do you think he got to be so rich? Like, that's how you do it, man. <laughs> like, oh, you go to man. other people's parties, you take their drugs, and you steal their girls. That's what we got to learn. <laughs> and then the, uh, uh, Schimmel, the guy who hosted, his favorite one was their opening for Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne challenges Nikki Six to piss and drink it. And then Nikki Six challenges Ozzy to snort it, and he does. Ozzy snorts Nikki Six's urine on tour. And this is like, that's the level of storytelling that we have in the dirt. Oh, I wish we had Tim. Tim we might need a Tim's face uh, pull out for wow, Facebook after that's, that. That's too rock and roll for me I feel right bad. There. I feel a little bad for Ben because the elitist streak – it's funny because he's very um he chooses this moment to get angry at elitism for when it suits his purposes oh super fair you are in a fancy <laughs> book club with professors <laughs> and you're giving me a hard time for liking a song that has four chords in it like i just think it's hilarious like i'm a per- i'm a man of the people jeff like dr feelgood i was connecting with the real america while you were with off powdered there. sugar on the mirror well while you were uh, while you were like hobnobbing with the music elites i i i agree like there's a there's a thin line with music like xdc like the, the power pop thing is i actually think is way overrated even though i love the best versions of it big star and xdc um, the, the bands that for whom the Beatles were not just a, a jumping off point, but a, but a reimagining point. The bands who do that best are some of my all-time favorite bands. But right underneath that is a bunch of stuff that's just very twee and cutesy. And I find it just does not do it for me. There's, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have been like, oh, you got to check this band out. And I, I won't like it because it doesn't yeah. have either, it doesn't have enough grit or it doesn't have enough musicianship or it doesn't have enough. I guess what Ben was saying, like, if it's just music for music's sake, it's not enough for me. It has to have some kind of a, a it has to have some kind of a soul to it. I think XTC has tons of soul. Andy Partridge is a tortured dude, and some of his best yeah. work is really great. Mayor Simpleton's not an example of that. That is a that's that is a song about wordplay, but this record's got a couple of like Scarecrow people on this record. Great song. Um, uh, Merely a Man is really good. It's a great record. Yeah. So, but well, I, I accept the criticism, but I also think like, come on. Oh, also, dude, I followed the <laughs> like criticism. A like a book. I, I, I like a book. I like Dr. Feelgood too, you know? I know. Yeah. I was like, I've got, a, I've got a, a really deep take on why XTC is no good. Now, hold on. Kickstart my heart. <laughs> it's a tough combo for sure. <laughs> good stuff. I actually had never heard Kickstart My Heart. Oh, are you kidding me? Crew? I would have thought at the University of Dayton, that was like the passcode to enter the party was to know that too. It was, I mean, there was a lot of GNR. Um, I remember a Cinderella song, like Cinderella was the hair band Ooh. that I recall instead of Molly Crew. Did you, did you say Peshaw at Cinderella? Oh, I hated time? Cinderella. They had that video where the kid, guy's playing the grand piano in the rainstorm. It just sucked. <laughs> what is that song? What's the Cinderella song? You know what I'm talking? It's like one of those power ballad hair metal. They look it up. Definitely horrible. a power ballad. They played Halloween I mean, the, a lot. I remember it was like Cinderella and two other shitty metal bands. Well, they 1989 was, is also the year of Skid Row. And, and my buddy Ron Books, he fought hard for I Remember You. Uh, um, that, that was his big Skid Row song. 
We once drove back from uh, seeing a game at Notre Dame. Oh, don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah, that's it. Don't know what you got till it's gone. That started to interrupt your story, but all I had to say was that title. Man, that was a brutal one. Just brutal. Ron Books had a brand new Fiero freshman year at the University of Dayton. And he drove back with this girl in the Fiero. You know, it's a two-seater. He didn't have a tape deck. He just, for like five hours, kept turning the station on the radio, hoping Skid Row would come on because he wanted that to be their song, I Remember You. I think he actually got it, like in the fourth hour. Uh, Sebastian Bach came through for him. All right. Would you go with a little Oh Mercy, uh, Bob Dylan? And um, you don't like it, Ben? Oh, I'm saying, ooh, I'm loving this. Okay, okay. Um, I love uh, Political World, but there's, there's a song, um, I think it was in the High Fidelity uh, movie yeah. as well. And it seems like tonight is a night where I need to hear this song. After a five-set volleyball loss, scrambling to get to the podcast, Motley Crue uh, abusing my, my ears. Now let's go with Most of the Time by Bob Dylan. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, great choice. Most of the time I'm clear focused all around Most of the time feet on the ground I can follow the path I can read the sign Stay right with it When the road unwinds I can handle whatever I stumble upon I don't even notice I see gone Most of the time All right. Um, Any of you guys read uh, his book about recording this in New Orleans with with Chronicles? Yeah, yeah, that's a good book. I mean, it's it's Dylan, and you're trying to follow his train of thought, and so that's always kind of weird and exciting. Uh, But I love how he broke down because his career was kind of not doing so well in 1989. Is that Uh, right? He was borderline toilet. He'd made uh, several bad records in a row. Yeah. Oh yeah, because he has his Christian phase, late seventies to early eighties, and then he tries to make his comeback, and uh, and really he he didn't make it until until this one. What's the album before Oh Mercy? Not uh, well. He yeah, makes down in the groove, uh, I think. yeah, down in the groove, and before that's knocked out, loaded, and before that's Empire Burlesque. It's three pretty weak records in a row. Yeah. What do you guys think of Oh Mercy? Oh, great. I'm a fan, the, yeah. The record, the record of the, that Jeff didn't list is Infidels, right? That song, that record's pretty good. Yeah, that's 83. That one, that, and that's not where it kind of comes out of the Christian phase. But it's, right. have you listened to Infidels lately? It's, it's great songs, terrible production. I mean, it's really a hard record to listen to. The drum and bass sound is really dated. But, that's uh, not, that's Sweetheart Like You on it, right? That's, yeah, I listen Sweetheart to that Like song You. At least once every two weeks. I love that song. Yeah, Joker Man and... Uh, uh, a couple of other don't fall apart of me tonight is on that record but this oh, record's got 
This record's got a bunch of great songs on it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Lenoir didn't make um, your best producers list. Top three? Daniel Lenoir is a great producer, and this in particular, I, I'd be curious, this one and then um, Wrecking Ball by Lou Harris is another oh, one where yes. he just, it, like, those, those records are really, really, really 50% by him. They're kind of sort of made by him. Uh-huh. Uh, but actually, I count that as a minus for him because he's yeah. got sort of kind of, he's got one trick. His trick is awesome. Uh-huh. He imposes it on the artist, and that uh, right. is like that's great. But I mean, he doesn't have like like Ruben. You know, guys who who bring the best out of an artist can have a twenty year career. Lanois right. has just got a couple of real high points, and then it kind of wears out a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's really good. You know, he's like he's like um, like Lanois has the triangle offense, and that's it. And if you got yeah. the right players, it's great. And if uh, you don't, you're uh, you're the Knicks. I mean, that's, that's you're just, the problem. You're, you're the Knicks. Yeah. You can't say that in front of Ben. That was a tough swipe. <laughs> that's rough but right hey, I'm with Jeff and I'm with, I'm with Tim too. This record is beautiful. I think, I think Ring, Ring the Bells is my favorite on this record. But mm-hmm. it's, I mean, and like everything is broken. Like there's multiple great songs. Shooting Star is a great song. I mean, oh yeah, totally. You know it's a good record when you can really have an argument about what the best song is. And there's, there's three right. to five songs that on a given night are the best song on this record. And that was the first time Dylan had put a record out like that for at least six years. So it was exciting when it came out that it wasn't terrible. And then he went right back in the ditch. Under the Red Skies, the record that comes out after that. And the first single off that record is Wiggle Wiggle. I mean, oh, good Lord. I mean, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't get good again until Time Out of Mind in 97 when he has to bring back Langlois to save him again. Yeah. You know? it's well, it's interesting. It's, it's 88, right, where his perpetual tour begins. Like, yeah, the never-ending the tour, that, yeah. The never-ending tour starts in 88. How many never-ending tours have you guys seen? How many, Dylan? How many times have I seen him on this never-ending tour? Yeah. I've seen it six times, including the last time, yeah. which I can't wait to tell the story. It's a great story. <laughs> yeah, it's Jeff coming up. I just heard this one, but I, I can't. Maybe it was Jeff will actually maybe even know the year. But uh, so it, I'm, it's the seventh show or the sixth show on the tour, and it's at the Tennessee Theater. And um, did I already tell the story? No, 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 okay. no. So it's at the Tennessee theater. And basically when I go to a show, I'm like, Jeff, I like look at the setlist.com and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the, the songs. And then there's a whole bunch of Reddit pages for the Dylan nuts where they're like telling you what's going on. Right. And so they're like, Oh, you're not going to believe how great this tour is. Dylan's teaching himself to play the piano. It's like a whole new oh. Dylan. He's rethinking oh, all the material. Oh boy. So he comes out. And he's got like a, like a little electronic keyboard. It's not a piano. Yeah. It's like a little organ, right? And he, he's teaching himself to play the piano the way a three-year-old does. It's like, he can't play at all. Like, it's literally like my five-year-old daughter has got mittens on and is banging on the keys. Like, it's just like, wah, wah, re-bert. like, it's not chords. It sounds awful. And, through the whole show, the soundboard keeps turning him down. Like halfway through the song, you stop here. It stops sounding terrible. And you're like, oh, that's better. Okay. And then Dylan like looks up, points at the soundboard. Oh, no. Turn me up. And he oh, no. turned it back up again. <laughs> oh, dude, it was unbelievable. I dragged India to this. And she, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't think I've seen him 10 times, but I've definitely seen him six times. So um, was he, was he couldn't play guitar anymore? Cause he just hands? decided to mix it up. 
you know? Yeah, and so the real Dylan heads were like, yeah. it's just a true display of his artistry. Right. And by the way, I'm not a tr I'm not like a Reddit level Dylan head, but I'm a medium sized Dylan head. Yeah, okay. me too. I all those records. I know all of those songs. First, it was really hard to tell what the hell song he was playing, even <laughs> for Dylan, even for Dylan. Yeah, and I remember this was, tour. It, like, the funny thing about it was, it was so bad I wasn't mad. Yeah, it, right, India right. Was mad. India was mad. <laughs> he was like, I'm never seeing him again. That was so disrespectful. I paid good money. And I was like, no, you don't get it. And I was trying to explain to him. He's an artist. Him. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was not even mad. I was like, I'm going to know that story for the rest of my life. That was freaking hilarious when that guy <laughs> who couldn't play an instrument came and just mashed on it in front yeah. of me. And literally, and I was going to say for an hour and a half, but that would be an exaggeration. It was like an hour and nine minutes. You know yeah. what I mean? It was an unlistenable hour, and then he did like a Rolling Stone, yeah, with his little keyboard solo. But even class. even that was like, wait, is this like a Rolling Stone? Like, I'm not uh, sure. I think it might be. Yeah, I remember that tour. Oof. Yes, I've sat through many of uh, just incomprehensible Dylan show. Where you're just like, you hear yourself, right? You can hear yourself, like playing that way on purpose. Incredible. So I, Dude, I got I, another. I'll do a much shorter one. I promise. My okay. dad and I went to go see him, Jones Beach on Long Island. Ani DeFranco's the opener. And um, I really, really, really like Ani DeFranco. So I was yeah. like, God, we got to get there early. You got to see the opener. And my dad's kind of an old folk music guy. So we went. She just, she's great. Just really yeah, she's fun. awesome. Last song, she's like, hey, so I've been opening on this leg of the Dylan tour. And this is the 30th Dylan show that I've been to. And I did it because he's my hero. And everyone's like, yay, Dylan. And then she's like, and uh, I was actually kind of hoping that I might get a chance to meet him. And so I was mentioning it here on the mic live that he's never oh. spoken to me on this entire oh, tour. And I'm God. hoping that today's my day. <laughs> oh my God. And by the way, I didn't follow up on it, but I guarantee Bob did not come out to yeah, say hi. No, no he yeah. did not. He's from that generation where they treat the opening act like just hot garbage. One of my favorite stories is um, the Rolling Stones famously don't talk to any of their opening acts ever under any circumstances. Oh, interesting. This is even a Rolling Stone magazine. Like the Stones are doing one of those like mega tours from the 90s where they're playing stadiums and they got like Pearl Jam opening for them and huge acts. And they got Blues Traveler uh, oh, opening a couple of sets. And this is the Blues Traveler of like run around like, you know, they're big hits, they're good. right? Yeah, and this is literally in Rolling Stone. You can look it up. Keith comes over to Mick says, "Hey, that the fat bloke from the other band offered to do some twiddly bits on the harmonica." And Mick just stares at Keith stone cold for ten seconds, and Keith's like, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> that was it. That's the closest Blues Traveler gets to meeting them. Is that exchange? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Oh, man, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. That's a great story. All right, gentlemen, let's put 1989 to bed. That was fun. We started, we started in 1969. Now we're about to enter our fourth decade, the 90s. And we're legal. Week. We're legal next year. That's exciting. Well, so the sorry. The, mis and, the and misadventures begin. You've got to explain this uh, 90s guitar sound you don't like because I want to know about it before I pick my song. <laughs> Just go listen to um, Semi-Charmed Life and then oh, beat yourself God, over the head with, a, with any kind of instrument you want. You've got you, 90s guitar sound. You made me go to that stupid press conference with them in Vegas. 
Remember, because you had the press pass. I did. And then I took it, and I got to go see that. Those oh, yeah, guys you had to go see sure. I was I was in the hallway touching uh. Vander Holyfield's ear while you were watching <laughs> Third Eye Blind. I definitely did much better in that experience. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll see you later. Thanks for listening to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. If you like what you hear, leave us a good review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And come visit us on our Facebook page where you can weigh in on who actually had the best song ever. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.